was studying this the other day and reading through this chapter again and just wondering if there's anything left you can preach out of this chapter. And uh, I've preached dozens and dozens of messages, especially traveling, split sessions with teenage boys and all that. And so many times we, we fast forward to the part where David shows up because that's where it gets very interesting. And David testifies and David talks about how he killed a bear and the sheep and all that. I mean, killed the bear and the lion while defending the sheep and convinces Saul. While Saul gives him an excuse not to do something, David gives him an excuse on why he should. And a miracle happens that day. And David challenges Goliath. Look, this story is so powerful that the sports world still uses this phrase. When, it, when there's an upset, when an underdog beats the favored team, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, I mean, any sport, March Madness, they'll say, wow, this is a story of David beating Goliath, right? On paper, Las Vegas, odds, all of them had everybody. Everybody was betting on Goliath that day. If you were a gambler and you bet on David that day, you became very rich quickly that day because David shocked the world that day. But David asks a question, is there not a cause? And I've heard it preached so many times, but I wonder sometimes if the real reason he was so upset when he got there is because of the location of where this happens. I think so many times we read this and we just we don't realize the significance of where this happened. Look at verse again. Look at verse 1. It says the Philistines, the, the enemy, had gathered together the armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to, next word, Judah. So as I was studying this, I called Brother Andy Moore, who's the most recent in our church. I think that's been to Israel. And as I was researching this, I studied and found out that this particular battle takes place 16 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And I called Brother Andy and, and, and picked his brain a little bit since he was just in Israel. And he says, oh, yeah, this, this famous story of David killing Goliath takes place in the heart of Israel, the heart of Israel. All right, so let me stop. Let me, let, me, let me make an application that all of us as Americans would really have it hit home with us. Imagine, imagine some, some army or leader from Iran or North Korea standing outside of Washington, D.C., cussing, defiling America and planning to attack America. What would the American military do? First of all, I don't even think it'd get to that point because they wouldn't even be able to get... The only time we got seriously attacked is because they kind of cheated the system. They... They got on the airlines and all that stuff, and, and uh, it, that just doesn't happen in America, right? It just doesn't happen. But here, here they are. The enemy is in Israel on their ground. I mean, this is the ground that God promised Abraham, that, that he led Moses and the people to. This is the ground that Jesus is going to eventually walk on. This is Israel, the heart of Israel, and they were so comfortable there. They were camped there. And they were challenging God's people. And David shows up and says, what? This is, this is our homeland. They're on our turf. They're on our, they're in, they're in, the enemy is on our territory. I mean, even to this day in, in the college football world, if you don't know much about it, it is a no-no if you're the opposing team and you go out to the middle of the field where their, their, their team's logo is and you jump and up, you know, stomp on it. You know, teams will do that sometimes. And it starts fights, pregame fights just because how dare that team gets on our logo and, and, and does that, right? But can I just throw something out at us tonight? Imagine tonight if I got home and I walked in the door and they're sitting on my couch 
was a man. He's just sitting there. And he said, hey, I'm your new guest. From now on, I'm going to live in this house and do whatever I want. I'm going to eat whatever I want, watch whatever I want. I'll tell your kids what to do. How do you think your preacher would feel about that? What do you think your preacher would do about that? I mean, no, nobody would support that. Nobody would even, would even think that's, that's appropriate, right? This man living in my house, and he's going to order us around, right? But we let him in all the time to this. The enemy has gotten comfortable in our homes, and our kids are being entertained by them all the time. Let me off the start of this message tonight say the enemy is not people. It's not people. It's Satan. The devil is the enemy tonight. And the devil consistently has a new, I mean, it's like the same story, same stage, different actors, right? And you see the picture, the graphic here. It's like the enemy is just sitting back, just relaxing, comfortable in our houses, comfortable in our churches. And Satan has been given almost leeway, liberty to just infiltrate our churches, infiltrate our homes, and nobody's fighting against it anymore. We've become intimidated. We're backing. We're shying away from it. And too many parents today are allowing the enemy to get into our houses through the music that our kids are listening to. Come on. I heard a great quote the other day. What people want and what they're willing to do to get what they want is the difference between what, you, what you'll actually get in life. So many parents say, I want great kids. I want kids that love God and serve God. But are we willing to pay the price? That means to make sure the enemy is not comfortable in our home. Making sure our kids are protected and safe from the enemy. And the enemy now, he used to be, I mean, it was just harder for them to get into our homes. But now it's so easy. Our kids have cell phones. They have devices. They have movies. They have social media. And unmonitored and unchecked. And, and today, we're seeing things. And it's no wonder we're changing. And people have strayed from the truth. And, and nobody's standing up anymore. And that's why David shows up and says, hey, wait a minute now. This is, that's your house. This is your church. This is our church. No way I'm letting Satan feel comfortable in this place. No way. He should feel miserable if he even comes. First of all, he's not even welcome here, amen. I said he's not welcome here, amen. The enemy is not people. The enemy is Satan. He's not welcome here. He may be a giant. He may be bigger than me. He may crush me and defeat me. But with God in my corner, with a slingshot and five stones, we'll be all right, Amen. And it's time for the men of our churches and the ladies of our churches, the husbands and wives, the dads and the moms of our churches and the homes across America to stand up for our children and defend our homes and say, enemy, Satan, devil, you are not welcome in this church. You are not welcome in this house. And even if you think you're going to infiltrate here, you will never feel comfortable here. Somebody say amen right there. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable how we have allowed the enemy to feel comfortable in our homes. Why? Number one, I'm going to give you two reasons why and two ways we can defeat it. Number one, we become fearful. Fearful. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 10. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. King Saul was afraid of what the enemy was saying. He was afraid of how comfortable Goliath had become. 
He was afraid. He was timid. He didn't want to stand up to him. He was afraid. And if the leader was afraid, so were the rest of the people. Can I make a declaration tonight? Your pastor's not afraid of the devil. I said, your pastor is not afraid of the devil. Why? I've read the last chapter. I said, I've read the last chapter. In fact, I didn't have to read the last chapter. I can read the chapter on the crucifixion. I can read the chapter on the resurrection. And our Savior, he has won. Hallelujah. There's no reason for us to be afraid of him tonight. The media, which by the way, the media and people sometimes are tools of Satan. Again, the enemy is Satan. But number one, we become fearful. Number two, we become faithless. We've lost our faith. By the way, what is it Jesus often said to his disciples, said to his people? Fear not, have faith. Fear not, O ye faithless generation. Those are two things that frustrated our Savior. It's been said before that fear not is actually shows up in the Bible approximately 365 times. That's one time for each day of the year. Why? Because God is reminding us to fear not. The fear of man bringeth a snare. We're living in a world today where there's so much outside pressure for us to, to water down the gospel, to water down the Bible, to water down truth. That's not what this world needs. Now more than ever, we've got to preach the truth with a tear in our eye and joy in our heart because the truth will prevail. One day, everybody's going to see it. One day, everybody's going to understand that the glass of this world will not win in the end. So why? Why would I let the glass have influence on my four children? Why would I let the glass have influence on this church? Why? Pray tell me why I would allow Goliath to come into our church and just sit here comfortably and say, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to tell you how to teach and preach. I'm going to tell you how to live. No, sir. No, sir. No, ma'am. It's time for the church to say, hey, you will not feel comfortable in the house of God. You will not feel comfortable in my house, my residence, where I live. You will not feel comfortable there. Again, emphasizing the enemy is not people. Satan uses people, but they're not the enemy. And boy, the more that we can present the truth to people that they might understand and see. I'm telling you, church, there's, there's, a, there's a strange stirring happening in our country right now. As we approach the rapture and the end of the world, it seems like there's starting to be another awakening. I'm seeing it as I talk to people across this country, as I've traveled at airports and different places, people seem to realize that our government has failed us, religion has failed us, and they're starting to search for the truth again. Several of you were texting me this week even about people that you've worked with before that are reaching out to you and saying, hey, I'm confused, I need help. They're starting to realize there is a better way. There is the truth. There is something, something that Satan's been trying to, to hide and push down. But church, rise up. It's time to be the light of the world. It's time to be the salt that preserves and makes a difference. But we can't if we let the enemy feel comfortable in our place. Number one, don't be fearful. That's what's happening. Number two, faithless. Number three, now what do we do? Number three, we become faithful again. Look at the same chapter. Jump down to verse 34. Verse 34. Why should we be faithful? Faithful means full of faith. I have on this platform a, a goldfish bowl of candy. And it was full until the youth choir came up. And then the teens wanted some and the kids wanted some. So it's not as full. But as I pick up that candy jar and I've reloaded again and it's full, I'm able to take that jar of candy and carry it around full. 
You know, you know what a faithful person is? You know what the benefit of being a faithful man is? It means it's somebody that's full of faith. Which means if God has been faithful to you last year and five years ago and ten years ago, there's a good chance he's going to continue to fill your faith that might motivate us to be faithful. Does that make sense? As he fills or fulfills our faith, we then become even more faithful. And that's exactly what David does. When confronted with Saul, he tells Saul, what are we doing? What are we thinking? I mean, this guy out here, there's no way we're going to accept this, right? Somebody's got to do something. This is not a cause. And his brothers begin to criticize him. And oh yeah, when you stand up and fight against the enemy, even people that you call family, even church members will start to criticize you. But you criticize all you want. Somebody's got to pick up the slingshot. Somebody's got to get the five stones and trust God and kill the giants that are fighting in our churches and our homes today. So here you go. What does David do? He plucks that bag of his faith out and plucks a couple stories. Look at verse 34. And David said to Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I said, oh, no, you didn't. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. And thy servant both slew the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing as he hath defied the armies of the living God. What is David saying? God was faithful to me when nobody knew. God was faithful to me when nobody was watching. I I had to do what my daddy wanted. I obeyed him. I defended his flock. I protected his sheep. And a lion and a bear came. I took care of them. And this giant, this uncircumcised Philistine that's fighting against us, that's standing on our soil, standing on our dirt. Nah, the God that has given me a bag of faith, I'm going to get to fill it up one more time and be a faithful man. Why? Because the faithful Christian makes a difference today. When you believe that God can, when you believe that God will, when you believe that God wants you, when you believe that God is able, we and I can see a revival again, a movement where something happens. Why? Because we want the devil to know we don't fear you anymore. We have faith in the God that whipped you. Hallelujah. He whipped him. Do, do we understand tonight that the devil is not even a worthy adversary for our God? The devil has never, never made God nervous. The devil has never made God break a sweat. God has never said, oh, I need to call my strategy. I've got to meet with the the joint chiefs of the angels and discuss this. Michael, Gabriel, do you have any advice? What am I going to do? No, no, no. God is not intimidated. And when his soldiers stand up and his soldiers lift up that banner and say, Satan, hey, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We're coming after you. We're not going to back down. We're going to stand up so that the next generation knows there will be a church and there will be some homes where Satan is not going to feel comfortable, ever comfortable in that place. Amen. Number one. Fearfulness. People are fearful now. Number two, they're faithless. But number three, get that faith back. And number four, a word that makes people nervous today, fight. I like the word fight. I'm not afraid of fight. We live in a generation where people don't fight for anything anymore. Where we, you, said, you said the F word in church. Fight. Yeah, I did. Paul said this. I have fought a good, what's he talking about? He's talking about fighting the devil, fighting the enemy. And sometimes it's not necessarily fighting against something, but rather fighting for something. 
And here tonight, we have something to fight for. We can fight for truth, fight for the gospel, fight for love, fight for the cross. We have so much to fight for tonight. And Satan has been deceiving all of our brothers and sisters in our community, people that work with us, people that live by us, and they're believing all this false doctrine. And Satan has become so comfortable in the White House. They welcome him. He's become so comfortable in our music industry. They welcome him. He influences their music. I was going to say, but I'm just going to say it. The, the Christian obsession with Taylor Swift today, why? She's just another pawn. Every generation has them. When I was a kid, it was Madonna. Have you seen her life lately? It's tragic. And before you criticize me, I prayed for her for five minutes on purpose of the day because she's made all this news. The girl needs Jesus. She's pro-gay marriage. She voted for President Biden. She's anti-Christianity. I've read the quotes. I've seen it. Pray tell me why anybody would listen to her music. Oh, that's what happens when the enemy gets comfortable in our homes. Can I tell you something? The Dignan household is not a Swifty household. Amen. Well, I'm not criticizing her. We weren't a Beyonce household either. We weren't. You know why? I fight for those things. I'm not going to let some rich, spoiled young lady who really doesn't sing that great influence my children. If you think I'm crazy and outdated, pray for me then. By the way, your prayer won't get answered because I'm staying the same way. Somebody's got to fight. To tell these teenagers today, we don't have to let the world influence us. The church used to influence the world. Now the world is influencing us. Why? Because the enemy has gotten too comfortable. It's time for somebody to stand up and say, that's not right. That's not right. This is right. This is right. And thank God there was a day when a young man showed up and said, no, sir. No, ma'am. That giant is not going to continue to fight. I've got a slingshot. I've got five stones. I've got a God. And I will stand up for God. Praise the Lord for that today. And if you don't like this, you ought to still thank God you have a pastor who's not afraid to tell the devil, you will not feel comfortable up in this place today. Not. Never. Never in this place. Why? Fight. Fight. Can I ask you a question? Is the cross worth fighting for? Is the blood worth fighting for? Is salvation worth fighting for? Is the heritage, forget the American heritage, the Christian heritage of the Christians that have died, that have sacrificed their lives, that have shed blood at the persecution of man-made religion for all these years. Last I checked, 60 million Christians shed their blood so that we might have the gospel today. Is that worth fighting for? Somebody help me, please. I told my wife, sometimes I feel like I'm the only one left. Am I all by myself on some island? Many of my preacher friends that we used to preach with, they've gone away. They've changed. They've let the enemy get comfortable. No, no, no. The word of God has not changed. God is still on his throne. And the next generation needs somebody to say, this is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is bad. And by the way, I've learned this. When you serve God and you stand for God, your life is better than when you let the enemy feel comfortable in your house. The buck stops here in my house. There ain't going to be some stranger come sitting in my house. Tell my wife and kids what to do. Uh Uh-uh. That's my house. 
and I will fight. Your poor kids and your poor wife, talk to them. Ask them at the church if they feel poor. Now, you know what? They feel loved and protected. Why? I refuse. I said, I refuse. I refuse to let the devil get comfortable in my house. And since, for this time being, I'm the pastor of this church, we're going to up the ante. He ain't going to feel comfortable up in here. No. Go across town. Go to all the other churches. Go ahead. There's plenty of church. Not here. Not here, Satan. I said, not here. And when you put your foot on our turf, we're going to sling rocks at you. Sorry, I got bad there because I dried. My mouth got dry. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 45, and I'm done. Some of y'all have that pot pie look. It's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. Verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, with a spear, with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Look at this. This day I will defeat you. No. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air. And the Lord gave them a victory. Now watch this. Here's some neat doctrine. I'll close with this. Notice what the Bible says. David says, watch this. Look at this. There is verse number 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And I will smite thee, watch this, and I will take thine what? Say it again. Take thine what? Head from thee. What's the significance of that? You see, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not Goliath actually died when the stone hit him in the head. Now, some think he had a helmet, so when the stone hit him, it caused a serious concussion and he fell down. He was passed out. Some think he died immediately. Now, if you've never seen a video that teaches you about the power of a slingshot, you should watch it on YouTube. It's amazing what an expert slingshot guy can do. I've seen a man before, they set up two or three watermelon, and he slung a rock and went through all three of the watermelon like that. I mean, some of these slingshot guys are experts, right? But the point is this, it didn't matter if he was dead or not. When David cut the head off, and he lifted it up. He was showing the enemy, you're not welcome here anymore. Go. And you know what the Bible says happened? What did the Philistines do? They ran. They took off. They went the opposite way of Israel, or of, of Judah, or of Jerusalem, somewhere in Israel. And God's people pursued until all of them were out. The problem with many Christians today, dads, moms, husbands, wives, preachers, we'll throw a rock at them sometimes, knock them out for a little while, and we think, okay, he's down, things are going good, but he wakes up and he comes back again. What we need to do is cut that head off. Satan, you have no, zero, zero authority in this local church. In fact, can I make a declaration tonight? I have as much authority as he has tonight. Zero. Because the authority of this local church belongs to one man, King Jesus.
And King Jesus is not like Saul. King Jesus already whooped the giant for us. He made it easy for you and me. And by his blood, the enemy has zero authority in here and zero authority in my house. I don't know about your houses, but as for me and my house, he has zero authority. If I get home tonight and Satan's sitting down with his legs propped up, I'm sprinkling the blood of Jesus him. I'm quoting verses. He's going to get up out of there quickly. It hit me recently when my car was stolen. Somebody came onto my property when my wife and kids were sleeping in their beds at night while I was out of town and stole my car. It spread. I heard from people all over the country. I got all kinds of messages, ideas on how to get it back on my soul. Messages. Uh, when they found, I mean, I literally had to post something so people would quit messaging me, right? It was crazy. And you all thought, I cannot believe that. Preacher, somebody came onto your property and stole your car. That's insane. That's not nowhere near as insane as us letting Satan come in through this or the television and stealing the hearts and minds children they can take my car any day they're not really the enemy they're not allowed to come after these two girls and my son and my daughter were at college oh no I will fight for them because he has allowed me to say Satan you have zero ASL has good sound business zero zero it's almost like a scope. I really like that tonight. Zero authority in my house. And tonight as your pastor, I promise you this. I will fight and pray that he has zero authority in this church. Tonight, let's not let the enemy feel comfortable. Heads about eyes close. Thank you for listening to me.
So you're down and you're broken. Your life is in distress. You've prayed the prayer unspoken of God's heart. You've made request. But the pain is still there deep inside, and it seems it always will be. An unseen injury you just can't hide. Friend, listen closely to me. God is there. He's listening in the night. He's heard your prayer. And in time he'll make things right. He'll see you through. When you can't see the light, he will not depart. So just trust to his heart and stay close by his side. I speak from experience. I know what pain feels like. I've traveled long roads in a dark and lonely night. And I've cried to God with bitter tears until it seemed all my tears were gone. But as I look back on the hardest years, I find he's been there all along. God was there. He was listening in the night. He heard my prayer. And in time he made things right. He saw me through. When I could not see the light, he would not depart. Now I trust to his heart and stay close by his side. Soon the morning will be breaking, clouds of doubt will drift away. The sorrow and the aching will dispel in glorious day. But if storms should threaten once again as they did in times before, As the thunder rolls and the rains descend, remind yourself once more. God will be there. He'll be listening in the night. He'll hear your prayer. And again, he'll make things right. He'll still see you through. When you can't see the light, he will not depart. So just trust to his heart and stay close by his side. He'll never depart. Always trust to his heart and stay close by his side.